If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from a few amazing fundraisers about what they value most as members of Tammy Zonker's Fundraising Transformers community. I have had the honor of learning and growing from Tammy. She has really helped us understand how to communicate better with our donors, how to make sure that our mission is at the front line of their decision making. And she has just been an absolute joy to learn from. That's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, talking about how being a growth member is helping her communicate better with her donors. When you join Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member, you get live training and coaching with Tammy twice each month. You can get your burning questions answered during her live Ask Me Anything sessions. You get to join in Tammy's live weekly hot topic discussions. You can engage with other fundraising pros like you in her private and safe online community. And you get 24-7 access to her growing library of on-demand fundraising training videos and tools. Here's Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how being a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community is helping her grow her capacity, her skills, and her confidence as a fundraiser. It's been so helpful for me to grow my capacity and my skills. I feel more confident uh, knowing that I have Tammy and the Fundraising Transformers group for support. I've reached out to Tammy and the group on several occasions, whether it be just some wording for an email to say, hey, can somebody give me just a little bit of feedback on this? I'd love your thoughts before I send this out for an initiative. We'll hear more later in the show about why Jenna values having access to Tammy's members-only, on-demand training library. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. We are so honored and completely over the moon delighted to have Ken Burnett uh, join us for this Intentional Fundraiser podcast. Ken, welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser. Thank you, Tammy. It's just great to be here. And hello to everybody. Uh, it's a it's a real honor. Thank you for including me. Oh, when we made the list of people that we wanted to speak with, you were literally the first person that came to mind. Okay, great. <laughs> no pressure. Well, I, no pressure now, absolutely. Yeah. So... Ken, I, when I think of you, I think I, I always refer to you as the godfather of relationship fundraising. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's now nearly 30 years that have passed since I wrote the book of that name. And, um, and that was a transformational moment. And I tell you one thing, Tammy, I'm, I'm, 
so pleased to be on your show because um, I love your, the name Fundraising Transformed. And I almost think that that's really what I was looking to do. I was hoping to transform the way we thought about fundraising, you know, because when, when I... I mean, I actually started in as a professional fundraiser in 1977, so you know, well over 40 years ago. And and in 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 those days, fundraising was seen as being kind of like a sales activity. And I very quickly saw that it, you know, that that wouldn't quite do, and that actually. Um, th- th- that tended to be transactional based. Uh, so, so I, um, I think I was looking to. I mean, I didn't have any expectation to actually transform fundraising, but I wanted to have a different, um, to, to come up with a different approach. And um, and the, one of the things that can, was concerning me was retention of donors. And looking at particularly at what was happening then in the United States and the kind of churn and burn direct mail uh, programs that were being run by quite a lot of you know very good organisations, but it just it just seemed to me that um, uh, that this wasn't quite the the way to go. And um, you know, talking about fundraising transformed, I love the name and I love the logo, and I think that I, I think fundraising still needs to be transformed. But what I hope that book kicked off was um, uh, a, a realization that uh, um, fundraising is not so much about money; it's about the people who are sending it, and that we need we put them at the at the heart of our activities. So the subtitle of my book was a donor-based approach to the business of raising money. And and that I think is what I was just really at that time trying to get on the agenda, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get discussed. And and it, it seemed to it seemed to that seemed to work. Um, but I what worries me looking back now over 30 years. I mean, it's, it's been great. The book has sold very well. It's continuing to sell. It's still in print uh, and still uh, still selling. But I, I, I think we, we, the fundraising community, talk the talk, but I'm not sure we always walk the walk. And mm-hmm. uh, so I think there's still quite a long way to go. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but, but in essence, I think that really it wasn't a... I wasn't trying to create fundraising as a, a relationship fundraising as a science. It was much more um, a philosophy. It was, it was almost, you know, and really a simple philosophy at that. And I think the, the core of my philosophy then was that if you're nice to people, they'll be nice to you back. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's not enough to fill half a page, but I've now, I think, written seven or eight books on the subject. Indeed. Uh, indeed you have. And I yeah. think... Uh, and no, I'm not I sure think... how I got away with that, really, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I won't. Truly, I think, Ken, you've been, you were ahead of your time. So I'm just going to go through the list of the books that you've written on this topic or related topics. Right. Um, because you were... Again, very, I think, really ahead of your time. So we had relationship fundraising to kick off. And then Friends for Life, relationship fundraising in practice. That's right. The Zen of fundraising. 
Yes, that Time. was the 89 things that matter most to fundraisers. That's right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. which I think is such a snackable, you know, very digestible uh, read and yeah. some amazing nuggets that can be put into practice immediately. We then had the tiny essentials of effective, uh, an effective volunteer board. That's right. Yeah, that was really a bit of a departure because at that time I, I, I had moved across a little bit and, you know, I'd worked a lot with boards, charity boards, and the challenges at the board level, I think, you know, slightly different in America because you operate on a slightly different system, but it's essentially the same, uh, the same issues crop up. And I had joined the board of the charity that I first started working for the, uh, with an off, a non-profit called Action Aid, and they had grown very spectacularly and that had helped me launch my career. So I came back to them as a board member and three years later I was made chairman of the board, <laughs> which was kind of like, you know, um, I, I think everybody else had um, had declined politely. So I was the last man holding the holding the baby. <laughs> um, and uh, but no, I learned a huge amount as, as a as a board chair. And so I kind of moved from the fundraising side to the governance issues. And I tried to put that into the tiny book, but we were also, my wife Marie and I, we were running a small publishing company uh, and, you know, publishing books on fundraising. It's Again, it's different in the States to most of the rest of the world, but it's rather like having a large hole in your back garden and just throwing money into it. <laughs> and uh, so it's not a, it's not a very, um, a remunerative activity, but it is quite satisfying. And so we were doing, we were trying to get short, bite-sized communication. So moving slightly away from the long, discursive, um, detailed textbook type approach to something that people could have easy access to read in an hour on a plane or, or on a train. And um, it would give them the essential point. So, yeah, that's what I was tending to do. Sure. In, 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 the, in that area, yeah. You know, and I think what a fascinating and introspective view that must have been to go from a frontline fundraiser to a board chair and now trustee on so many organizations to have that 360 degree view yeah. of relationships well, and, and donor engagement. Yeah, I was surprised, Tammy, because um, I found that I, um, in, in the top, so the top 20, top 50 British charities, there were very few fundraisers actually on boards. And, um, you know, I have spent a lot of time interacting with boards, as you do, I'm sure, and you do presentations to board and we do trainings for boards. Um, but I, I, I started to encourage people uh, in the fundraising community to... Um, uh, to, to put themselves forward and, and take on the role, A, because it's so rewarding and so interesting and it helps them in the work that they do, but also because the fundraisers have got such a lot to contribute. And if, you, if a board doesn't have uh, a, an experienced fundraiser among its, uh, its lineup, 
then it's not going to really be able to govern in one of the most important areas, which is the responsibility of all the board, not just the fundraising committee. So, um, so I think it's I think it's a good area to, uh, to focus on. Yeah. yeah, clearly. And I think, too, it's interesting, you know, well-meaning board members who want to help create sustainable funding oftentimes will reach for another event or the next, like the trend, the whether it's the ice bucket challenge or the trend du jour versus what you've espoused for these many years, which is relationship fundraising, making introductions, participating in donor engagement. Yeah. So I'm curious about your perspective on that. Yeah, well, 80, 80 plus percent, I think it's something in the UK, it's something like 86 percent of income comes from individuals one way or another. And so the individual givers, uh, the donors, uh, you know, who are also your bedrock, they're your supporters, they're the people that you can turn to in times of trouble, they will campaign for you in times of need. But they are the financial core of any organization and they also give you that independence um you know we can speak truth to power if we have a large body of supporters who are actually committed and engaged and who believe as we believe we share the same why we share the same reason for doing things and so um building that part of it Uh, And often you'll get sort of individual giving will be seen as just one of a whole range of activities. It doesn't make much sense commercially, given it's so predominant that you should be focusing the same level of attention on corporate or special events or something like that. Um, And that that, that doesn't... to, to To get relationship fundraising into context, when I was... When I started planning to write a book. I had done a book on charity annual reports before then in 1982, actually, believe it or not. And um, uh, so I, you know, I, I, there was a great gap in, in the UK. There was no good book on fundraising. So it started life as a how-to book. And it was just going through the process of how to. The two things that I, the two messages I really wanted to get across were uh, to focus on monthly giving and on bequests, legacy, legacy giving. Uh, and so those, those were the kind of core. And I had seen that in ActionAid, um, which had grown from nowhere to become a top 20 British um, cause, British non-for-profit. Um, through monthly giving particularly and less so legacies, but legacies was also, um, uh, you know, we get in the UK one third of all uh, not-for-profit income comes from bequests. So it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. Significant. It's always been seen as manna from heaven and not the, the fruits of a lifelong relationship with a committed donor. So, so the concept of um, relationship fundraising evolved as I was going through this how-to book, and I changed it from a how-to. Well, it, it still had all the components of how to do it, but it was a book which expressed a point of view. It expressed a philosophy, and that philosophy was we need to focus on long-term mutually beneficial relationships and not on short-term hits and churn and burn. 
So that was basically the thinking behind it. Mm-hmm. It's really brilliant. And again, ahead of your time in terms of monthly <clears throat> giving and again, the long-term strategy of legacy gifts. So all this, like we know that good fundraising, that high quality fundraising comes from deep relationships with donors. And yet certainly in the U.S., we struggle Overall, we retain less than half of our donors every year and only less than 20% of our first-time donors. So why the knowing-doing gap? Why do you think we still continue to struggle with individual donor engagement and relationship building? Uh, Well, it's a very good question, Tammy, and I don't know if I've got any more insights. Um, I I think the issue with... um, with my approach was that, you know, as I say, you know, some people have taken it forward and they have um, they have turned it into a science, really. And there's been lots of books produced about relationship marketing and there's relationship this and relationship that. And, and it, you know, it almost becomes an, an overused word. Um, I, I'm not I'm not you know, I, I don't lose sleep about um the fact that probably a large number of people who come into our orbit are not coming in as regular supporters. They're coming in in response to a very specific issue and they will give a gift and they don't see that as being the first step in an ongoing relationship. And that's what we want them to, to see it as. And so we are in the we are in the persuasion business, I suppose. But I think where we've gone wrong is that we we've we've not put enough emphasis on reciprocity, on the fact that um, giving needs to be a good experience and that people need to uh, they need to get as much out of it as we get it needs to be a mutually beneficial uh, relationship so i think we will inevitably and we probably always will um not retain a percentage of first year donors but if we are good at 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 the relationship Part. And this is why I think it, it's storytelling rather than sales pitches. Um, you know, it's where you, you know, I always say to people, we're not in the money raising business, we're in the inspiration business. And if we inspire people properly, then the money will follow as a natural reaction from the donor. They will say, yeah, that sounds great. I'm really moved by that, what you've just told me. That's captured my uh, my imagination, and uh, you know, I think if we if we if we can get much better at the um, the the benefits for the donor, then donors are going to want to stay. I mean, they should. We should be able to get to a situation where people are going out of their way to tell their friends um, about this great thing that they've just done. Uh, that they get satisfaction, a sense of meaning and purpose and fulfilment from. Um, that almost rarely, if, if ever, happens hmm. uh, because of this kind of transaction. You know, and I, I, I still find when talking to younger fundraisers that if you say what you do for a living, 
you can quickly clear a, a room because, <laughs> you, know, a, you know at a party at a party you, you know somebody says you know, what do you do and you know people cross the road to avoid fundraisers now you know that to me that seems given the nature of what we do and the good that we can help facilitate in this world that that seems we've we've somehow communicated uh, rather badly, and, and I, you know, and I think, uh, which brings me to another major issue that I've been espousing over recent years, which wasn't high on, wasn't even on my uh, agenda in the early days of relationship fundraising, and that is that it's becoming increasingly apparent that giving is good for you. It's it's good for your mental well-being. Donors tend to live longer. Um, giving is supposedly good for your uh, health. It produces, you know, produces oxytocin. It makes you feel good, uh, and it um, it makes your marriage stronger, and you know, various things like that. And when you start digging into what the behavioural scientists have been finding about giving, it, it strikes me as remarkable that our our business sector has not made a better job of saying, actually, this is a fantastic thing. This is actually something that you will get um, a great deal out of. And, and the other thing that we're really, really bad at, and consistently over the last 30 years or more, I have banged on about communication. To me, fundraising at its heart is communication. Uh, it's about uh telling those stories with power and passion and beauty in a way that will move people to action uh, and if we were better at that then i think we'd we'd keep people longer we'd bring more people in yes and and this would be would would definitely be uh, you know, be a very good thing. So I agree. Uh, and, and, you know, Ken, I think that we are very good at it before, like leading up to securing the gift. Yeah. And then from the donor's perspective, there's a huge letdown oftentimes after the gift is made. Tammy, you are so right. You are, you are so right. And, you know, to the, the, the phrase I use is the five P's. We need to be famous for frequent, fast, fabulous feedback. We need to be, te- you know, donors, donors never give you money for things to remain the same. They give you money to change something. They want to see something uh, happen as a result of that gift. So donors essentially are there because they want to make a difference. Now, what we do is we take their money, we bank their money, and then we start thinking about the next thing that we can ask them for money for. And we're not really good at feedback. We are not famous for frequent, fast, fabulous feedback. So if we could build the five Fs into our communications, into our philosophy, into our strategies, then that would be uh, a phenomenal thing Yes. Thing to do. And I think that's what we've got to we've got to focus on. Yes. Yeah. And again, I think it goes back to a knowing doing gap. Like we've seen the data. We yeah. know that people want to know like the outcomes. How did my gift make a difference? And to your point, we fall so sorely short in that area. And you know, yeah. I wonder 
I look at the work, the research that's done out of there in in uh, the UK, the um, Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy. Jen oh, yeah, Shang yeah. and her work yeah, is yeah, remarkable. Yeah, no, they do some fantastic things. Yeah. And Jen says, you know, that we need to love our donors as people and not sources of income. <laughs> and I so tr- truly believe that that they're at the core of our retention challenges is an inauthenticity that we may talk donor love, but we don't really love our donors. Yeah. We yeah. love that we meet our goals because they gave. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, the, the thing about relationships also is that, people should be able to choose the, the intensity and depth of relationship that, that they want, that's comfortable for them. But we, we should be the nicest people. I, I sometimes, Tammy, I'm sure I know you uh, will do this too. Uh, you, I get involved in the selection of senior fundraisers and I sometimes see the shortlist <laughs> And I think, why is this person there? They're just not the right person to put in front of a donor. You know, what we should be is, you know, we should be, um, you know, just empathy and um, appeal. Uh, You know, we should be the nicest of people Um, simply because, you know, we need people to trust us. We need people to believe in us. We can't follow the kind of leadership that we get from our political leaders nowadays, which is shocking. You know where? Don't get where me the, started, Ken. No, no, I know. Well, we're both on both sides of the Atlantic. We've seen the uh, just how awful this can get. The problem I found with that is that there's a there is a tendency where people says, "Yeah, but you can get away with that. You don't actually." Um, you know, people will believe what you tell them. And we, we, you know, whereas actually there is an opportunity for our organizations to occupy some moral high ground and to come in there and to preach things like kindness and uh, generosity and, um, uh, you know, doing things with principles and doing things right. Yes. Uh, and I think we need to get that very firmly established in our in our DNA, it has to be so that people will want to, to talk to us and will realize that actually we can, um, you know, that we can help them to achieve their goals in life. Um, because, you know, most donors tend to be, you, you need to have disposable income to be a donor. So you tend to, that tends to mean the family will have grown, you know, the, tr- the traditional kind of donor village is a quite a narrow um, demographic. And, um, you know, what we want to do is to be able to speak to those people and say, you know, you're coming to a life stage where you're thinking about your legacy and, um, uh, what, you know, where you will get meaning and fulfillment. Perhaps as you're coming up to retirement, you'll have... Uh, the opportunity to get involved in the kind of things that we do, um, we should be able to make that a very attractive uh, proposition. And I think the first thing we have to start with, which we still don't do, you know, it breaks my heart to see the turnover of young fundraisers. And if we could, if we can show them that this is the best career 
ever for would-be world changers. If you want to make a difference in your life, it may not be the best paid job around, but actually the the conditions of employment are much better than they were when I was starting out. Yes. Um, You know, so we have made some advances. But that aspect of the rich history and tradition that that is in fundraising, the the body of knowledge upon which you can build, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants and we get to see further because we know our past, which is, um, I know you're a, an enthusiast for the Sophie Foundation, oh, and yes, wish I'd thought of that. Uh, and these are things that um, uh, you know I and my colleagues have been working with to try and and capture what is so great about and and it's sort of let me just get uh, the elephant in the room is the word fundraising itself. I'm really not happy with the word fundraising because it talks about money. It seems to be all about money. And the first piece of advice that I got, uh, which was so important, was my mentor was a guy called Harold Sumption, who was the architect of Oxfam in the 1950s. He, he, He produced their communications. And he said, don't start by asking for money. Fundraising it's not all about money. It's about work that needs doing. If you start by asking for money, you won't deserve it and you won't get it. So focus on the difference that people can make. And and I think, you know, we need to... Uh, we I, I talk about campaigning fundraisers because, it, because I've never known a donor just to be interested in giving us money. They give give for a cause. They give to make a difference. There's something they want to change. So all of us, we are all campaigning in our organisations, whatever it may be. It will vary from organisation to organisation. And if you don't believe passionately in the work your organisation does, then you're not going to be a good fundraiser for it. Um, But if you do, then... The, the, the potential for a, a rewarding, fulfilling career. And then we need to focus on things like leadership among, fun, among fundraisers. Yes. So my, my, my last book, I have, um, I've written, uh, which I, Tammy, I think you know about this book. I've just ordered it. Excellent. I'm so excited <laughs> uh, about it. So it's called The Essence of Campaigning Fundraising. And it focuses on the core content that is available for free to everybody on the sophie.org website. Can we Um, pause for a moment? And I want to make certain everyone understands what Sophie is. Okay. So Sophie is the showcase of fundraising innovation and inspiration. So essentially you have curated the most excellent, most inspiring examples of campaigns and fundraising messaging and uh, and showcased it available free of charge, although yeah. donations to support the foundation are much appreciated. We need that now because we've reached the stage. And um, I mean, it's, <clears throat> it started as an idea. When um, Marie and I, we were traveling to uh, do some work in Australia with fundraisers in Australia, and we were on the train to Heathrow, and we were talking about the 
the history of fundraising, and it really started as an idea for an online museum. So this was in 2007, 2000, and, yeah, around then. Um, and <clears throat> basically it started as the Museum of Fundraising and Innovation and Inspiration because we had realised that... Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm of a generation where I tend to think that, that me and my colleagues, we invented direct mail and we invented segmentation and we invented all the techniques that um, so ca characterised. And, you know, I learned from great people like, like Jerry Hansinger and Mal Warwick and, uh, and Roger Craver and people like that, um, you know, but we thought we were of that first generation. And actually, when you dig into it, you find that the Victorian era was a fantastically active time of fundraising innovation. But, but then you go back to the Middle Ages where people were raising money for um, to build the great cathedrals of Europe, for example. Um, and, um, well, to, to, and I could go on for a very long time on this subject, <laughs> but um, the earliest exhibit that's on the Sophie website is, um, is Moses and the children of Israel raising money to build a tabernacle, which is basically a mobile church, uh, while they're wandering in the desert. Uh, you know, and... And in fact, the first ever, that's 3,500 years ago, the first known fundraising campaign was so successful that Moses had to return jewelry and gifts and clothing that people had donated because they had so much of it. They had such a, they had the superfluity of, um, of donations. Uh, and all of this is chronicled within Sophie. And if you go to the Roman era, um, Tacitus and his colleagues, um, Pliny the Younger, the, the first matched funding, the first major donor dinner was actually um, King David raising money for a temple to, um, uh, to his, his son Solomon. Uh, and there's a fantastically rich body of... Mm. of information. So Sophie started life like that, almost as a kind of three-dimensional online museum. And Marie and I, our, our, our motivation was that we had uh, enjoyed a good career through our success at, in the fundraising sector, and we wanted to put something back. So we thought it should be a free service. And, and particularly, we were interested in loan fundraisers who didn't have access to, maybe couldn't afford to go on training courses, couldn't attend conferences and things like that. So, um, uh, so we started that. But then we realized that there's much more, uh, we changed the name from a museum, because a museum suggests that it's in the past and it's static. We realized that there, uh, it was possible to use these examples from the past to inform the present and inspire into the future. And so we started a thing with the uh, help of the, a large number of people who'd got involved with us, and particularly two guys from an advertising uh, agency uh, group called uh, Open Fundraising, who um, uh, came up with the idea for our a seven-minute series of seminars. I think you've been to at least one of these. Yes. 
Um, and we've held those all around the world in, in a, all sorts of different countries. Um, and they're always hugely successful because it's fundraisers, mainly young fundraisers, standing up and saying, it's not work that they did. It's something that they has that has inspired them. I wish I had thought of that. It's called Iwitot for short. Yes, I, I, I was so honored to present. It was at AFP Congress 2012, and I presented uh, I Wish I Thought of That about charity water and how powerfully they use video to share their story. This was the one where where your um, home, Department of Homeland Security decided that I was an undesirable alien and I couldn't <laughs> go to the United States. And Marie had to stand in for me and do the opening speech to about 1,400 people uh, without any notice. You are pretty dangerous, Ken. <laughs> you are pretty dangerous. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, so I missed that one. But um, yeah, no, they, I wish I thought of that as, has been a great success. And it, and it energizes. It, it, people say things like, I, I've fallen in love with fundraising all over again, because they see the creativity and the, ins- the imagination, the innovation that has gone into um the communication of good causes. We are very lucky. I I always say we've got the best stories in the world to tell, and we've got the best of reasons for telling them with power and passion to move people to action. Uh, And that's such a great challenge to have. So, so, Sophie celebrates that, and I wish I'd thought of that, does it in a slightly different format and arena, but it it is the same. Thing. And what we're trying to do is encourage debate and um, awareness and understanding and spread, you know, make it easier for people to copy the best of the best. And, uh, and people do. They, they, they use it. We have thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of yes. people using Sophie every month. And one of the things I love about Sophie, and it's S-O-F-I-I dot org. You must check it out. One of the many things I love about Sophie is that it really does showcase like concepts and campaigns and ideas that are so innovative and truly inspiring. And I love that fundraiser, fundraising professionals, nonprofit professionals are so generous to yes. showcase and, that work. And it's from all around the world as well. Yes. And we've had, we've had volunteers translating into Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, French, uh, Chinese, uh, a whole range of uh, uh, other languages. And um, we've held, uh, I wish I'd thought of that, events in, in different countries. So if you get a chance, any of your listeners... Um, get a chance to go to something like that, then please do, because you will you will enjoy it and it will make you think. Absolutely. The I other thing I'll point out on the Sophie website, you have a digital uh, version of the commission on the donor experience. Oh, right. Which, yes. which really tells it's, you know, multiple chapters showcasing different fundraising success stories. Um, well, from, it, it, tell please me talk about it. It's important for people to realize that the Commission on the Donor Experience was a a formal commission that that we set up. It was founded by 
Giles Pegram and myself. We, uh, Giles was um, the uh, deputy director and head of fundraising at the NSPCC for 30 years, which is one of Britain's biggest uh, childcare uh, organizations. And he was a hugely successful uh, fundraiser. Um, and we were both, um, uh, you know, kind of two old guys on the on the <laughs> sidelines when uh, when the press started being very critical of charity fundraising techniques after rather a singular scandal in the United Kingdom, uh, which focused on high pressure, hard sell fundraising. And the, 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 there was a huge outcry from the public uh, to say that they too felt that fundraisers were often inconsiderate, aggressive, um, and un, uh, unhelpful and that you mm-hmm. really had to cross the street to avoid them. Uh, and um, the, the effect of this was that a lot of people in the fundraising sector felt that the media were being unfair to them. Well, the media are often unfair, but actually there was a lot of truth. To me, it seemed to represent an opportunity. And so what the commission was set up was, um, and it had 12 members uh, under a very eminent chair, Sir Martin Lewis. Um, And its purpose was to try to capture best practice and to review what was um, not good practice in fundraising terms and try and define what I called the, the new era of responsible fundraising, which was fundraising where the donor was at the at the centre. And, um, and so they produced a huge body of work. Now, all of the published, uh, there were 28 different projects, um, and some of them went into very great detail, uh, analysing different aspects. So the one that I was responsible for was the use and misuse of emotion. Uh, and that is, um, you know, all of them are documented on the Sophie website, along with a, a document we called the six P's, which is um, a blueprint for the future of fundraising. And it talks about the purpose of the change, the fact that it needed to be permanent change, uh, the principles that would underpin that change, the pillars of change, a promise to donors, and then there were 526 practical actions. So all of those things begin with the letter P. So we called the document the six P's document. And it can be downloaded. It's eight pages. It's... it's, um, well, I wrote it, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to write because it had to condense the findings, uh, which ran to thousands of pages, into a, a sort of an eight-page blueprint for the future of fundraising. Yeah, so powerful. Where are people getting a hold of that? Is agreed. Absolutely Easy. agreed. We're back with growth member Jenna Zapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how having 24-7 access to Tammy Zonker's on-demand training library is helping her become a better fundraiser. 
Since joining the Fundraising Transformers group, I have had the opportunity to go back and re-watch a host of trainings on such a wide variety of topics from how to work with my team members inside my organization to how to get my board excited and passionate about fundraising and topics like how to reach out to a donor and how to get a meeting with a donor. Here's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, sharing that as a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community, you're never alone. How members of the community support one another by sharing resources and lessons learned to help solve tough fundraising problems. You oftentimes learn from other people across the entire country, which is really nice because it helps you understand that you're not alone in your uh, fundraising challenges. um, I was just sharing with someone the other day that it really helped me feel like I wasn't the only one experiencing these challenges, knowing that someone from New York or New Hampshire or Texas, um, people all over the U.S. with varying communities and different fundraising strategies, we're all in this together. At the end of the show, we'll hear why members enjoy learning from Tammy and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. So Ken, I want to go back to your newest book, The Essence of Campaigning Success. Tell yeah. us about that book. Fundraising, yeah. Well, it's um, what I wanted, you know, again, going back to this issue of um, fundraising not being the most popular uh, career or the most popular destination for people from uh, universities uh, or school, you know, starting their employment. Um, and I wanted something, I wanted to put together something that... Um, drew on all of this body of information that fundraisers can use that considered the role of the fundraiser it's it's particularly about campaigning fundraising it's about uniting the purpose with the money uh, and and really the money comes secondary to the purpose uh, there are a um, uh, hundred and ninety nine of Sophie's exhibits are linked, or other exhibits. Also, there's quite a lot of content from The Agitator. So Mm -hmm. the book is actually, it comes with a a USB key. Um, I don't know, yeah, I do have it. There's the USB key that comes with it. So you can see that, I don't know. Yes, yes. It comes with a USB key and uh, that has direct links. So it is a portal to a whole range of content, which is, if you like, it's everything that your apprentice fundraiser needs to know if he or she is going to really master this new craft that they have chosen. Uh, it presents the very positive aspects of fundraising, and it looks at everything from um, the principles that need to underpin fundraising through to the practicalities of campaigns. The biggest section of it is about individual campaigns and, you know, using television, using direct mail, using posters, you you know. Uh, So there's a whole um, 
Uh, uh, there's a great deal of content. And you can go to the White Lion Press website or Sophie. In fact, probably, again, on Sophie, there's um, quite a lot of the content is available um, and there are parts of it that can be downloaded for free. So, And I'm we'll be adding both the... No books. <laughs> in, in the notes below this podcast, we'll add links to Sophie, to White Lion Press, should you want to get your own copy of Ken's latest book. I know mine is probably on some FedEx airplane over the Atlantic right now on its yeah. way to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, uh, I, Tammy, I'd be very interested to get your feedback to it. It's somewhat different from all of the other books, I think, in this area. Uh, as I say, it, 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 I think this definitely will be my last uh, fundraising book. It's got contributions from others. There's a brilliant foreword from Roger Craver. Uh, and um, I think it is a book which I hope will... Um, will help to cement this change to a new era of responsible fundraising. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the keys are in there, um, but it will be up to individual readers how they they access that information. Yes. Well, I can definitely attest that we are all standing on the shoulders of those who came before us with the, uh, the the examples that you talked about from the Victorian area and even before. And certainly you've had a huge influence on my 20 plus years of fundraising. So I'm ex- well, excited for this new book. Okay. Well, that's great, Tammy. Can I just say it's a two-way street because you had a huge impact on me through your campaign uh, with General Motors, the, the, the major gifts. Yes. Uh, and uh, the city of Detroit, which, uh, you know, is a case history that which is featured on Sophie, actually, and because it's such a great story. So it works both ways. But, you know, I think if we stop learning from each other, that's when, you know, that really is time, time to give up. And, you know, I may be 72 next birthday, but I'm keeping going for a while. Yes, you are. And while I hear you that this may be your last book, I'm not putting money on it. well i have to tell you that i'm not sure i can afford to write any more fun books it's it's not the most uh, sensible thing to do but never mind (laughs) well i have a couple like rapid fire questions for you and then i want to talk uh kind of wrap up talking about your birthday celebration how you celebrated your birthday but first uh, three rapid fire questions first is after decades of uh you know fundraising and leading fundraising consultancies what are the top three characteristics you think a fundraising professional needs to be successful Woo. um well i think um well, I think I, I was talking earlier about empathy. Um, and, you know, empathy is a really good, good word to, to really understand. Uh, empathy and rapport. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I think you have to have that ability to get the best out of people. It, it's not an easy thing to be a really effective campaigning fundraiser. Um, you have to have likability uh, and you have to have passion. Um, I think I would put those. I remember um, Bruce Barton, who was the advertising head of 
BBDO. Um, he said the best thing that you can give your child is passionate enthusiasm. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, we need to come to our causes with infectious passionate and enthusiasm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think there are a hundred other things that you could add, Tammy. You mean you need, you need tenacity, you need humour, you, um, you, know, you need to be flexible, you need all sorts of things, really. You need to be accountable, you need to be um, uh, and very patient and tolerant. <laughs> yes, yes. It's not easy. It's not, it's, it's, you know, and so it's a special role for special people. Yes, indeed. Best fundraising advice you've ever given and received. All right. Um, okay. Uh, well, as I mentioned, I, I, I had a wonderful opportunity because I, I was brought in to this business by the guy who was the founder of Oxfam. And um, uh and he started me on my uh, on my career, um, but um, one of the things I was told is that you need to write to people and talk to people where they are, and not where you want them to be. And and um, possibly the best uh, piece of advice is that communication is, uh, you know, not for profit organisations produce lots of information but not a lot of communication. Hmm. And there's a big difference between the two. Information is giving out and communication is getting through. And we need to focus on communicating. Uh, if we could send less, but better, less information, more communication, that's, that's and you know, I, I've, I, I consider my 40 odd years in this business, I, I'm, I'm a copywriter basically at heart that's 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 what i see myself and i think that's a very good advice and i tend to give that advice to, to copywriting uh, to, to people whenever i speak to young young fundraisers um in terms of advice that i have given um I I met I worked with Alan Clayton for many years and we we had a very successful um, training and consulting setup between us uh, and he's continuing with that of course um, and we used to sort of spar with each other in terms of the sort of uh, um, of influence and I think the best thing. Um, that I said to him was, I said to him, you know, you can look at a, the output that we're doing and a lot of it is good enough, but for what we're trying to do, good enough is not good enough. Mm. And, and that really stuck with Alan. And he would use that phrase again and again because he was striving for excellence and good enough would not cut it with him and and he used that as a kind of core part of his management technique yeah brilliant uh, i got from him a beautiful phrase which is 10 words um which have each word has no more than two letters and the phrase is if it is to be it is up to me hmm. and i i think that's a very good thing 
to say to yourself and you know and actually unconsciously subconsciously i think we say it every day because we know that if something's going to happen we have to make it happen so, so powerful yeah all right la- last of the rapid fire questions knowing all that you know about relationship fundraising our profession now what advice would you give your younger self just starting out uh, get a proper job um, <laughs> no, um, it, you, you know actually Tammy this is a, this is a terrible I haven't I haven't really um, I haven't really thought about this because I so much have enjoyed what I have done uh, through my life and I, I feel I've been very fortunate Um and people often say to me, you know, well, you're very lucky, you know, so I've ticked a lot of the boxes as I've gone along. And um, and my response to that is, yeah, I am very lucky. And the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yes. Uh, and I, I, think, um, I think I would say to people, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's not, it's never going to be easy. Don't look for it to be easy, but do look for do look for it um, to stretch you. And and if you set your mind to something, you can always you can always do it. Um, you will get there, or at least at least you will get something from the trying. The worst thing is is not to be not to be challenging and to accept. Um, you know that things are as they are. No, we, we we are in the change business. I I wish we weren't the not-for-profit sector. I wish we were the for-change se- sector, mm-hmm. because to me that's what it's all about. I I don't I don't want to be judged by what I'm not for. I want to be judged by what I'm for. Beautiful. I completely align with that. All right. So to wrap up, tell us about your incredible birthday celebration and what you dedicated yourself to right well it wasn't really a birthday celebration um i so my wife and long-term business partner marie died now nearly four years ago um and i last year started a new relationship with a new partner um and she is uh, a painter and uh, a potter uh, she's very artistic and she is uh, very fit. And she has walked the Camino de Santiago eight times, which is an incredible feat. When she retired at the age of 60, she set herself the target of walking the 500 miles of the Camino every year until she was not well enough to, to do it. So um, at the beginning of last year, uh, well, some, no, halfway through last year, um, she suggested that I might like to walk the Camino. Now, I have never done anything like that. And I suppose I agreed to it because I thought, well, you know, this is one way to carry favour with my new lady friend. Um, it was it, walking 500 miles with uh, across some of the most interesting but also most challenging terrain uh, across the north of Spain from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, which is just on the French side of the border, across the Pyrenees, uh, across the high Mesa in the middle of um, uh, northern Spain, 
to the medieval um, cathedral of St. Jack in um, Santiago de Compostela. Uh, we did it in September. It took uh, 39 days of walking. Um, we averaged about 25 kilometers a day, so roughly seven hours of walking. The first part of it, the first 10 days were an for me, an absolute nightmare. Um, one reason was that I had I broke my leg a few years back, and um, the first thing that we had to do was we had to go up to climb the, um, the Pyrenees. And um, I had done all my, I live in Suffolk in rural England, and Suffolk is notoriously flat. And I had done all my training on tarmac roads in Suffolk. So I had done quite a bit of training. I was in relatively good shape for this, but I was not prepared for the, the first three days of climbing to cross the Pyrenees. Um, I tell you, I, I tell you, Tammy, I was so pleased with myself that after the, the, I think it was the third or the fourth day, I met this woman and I was saying to her, I've just walked across the Pyrenees, you know, um, and it's, you know, we'd done, I think, I don't know, 50 miles, 60 miles, something like that. Um, and uh, I, and I said I'm really proud of myself because I have you know I climbed up there and I've, I've actually survived it. It was blooming difficult, but it was I've survived it. So I said, "Where have you come from?" And she said, "Oh, um, we've walked from Brussels in Belgium." Uh, she had already completed one thousand eight hundred miles, and she was about to do another five hundred miles to cross to Santiago uh, on the same route as us. At that point, I stopped boasting. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, the, the other example I must tell you about was I met this guy, French guy called Pascal. Now, I lived in France for 16 years and I speak French, but Pascal also spoke English. And um, uh, so, sorry, not it wasn't Pascal, it was Patrice. I'll get his name right. <laughs> But Pascal, I did meet a Frenchman called Pascal, but this was Patrice. Now, Patrice was, uh, I was telling him why I, he asked me why I was doing that, walking the Camino. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I'll be 71 next birthday, uh, which is just uh, the uh, next month. Uh, and um, I thought, you know, this might be the last thing of any substance that I attempt in my life. Um and he said, rubbish, absolute rubbish. He said, I am 81 years old and I am walking the Camino as well. And I felt humbled by that because he was an absolutely lovely and entertaining and, and quite charming man. I met him several times on the road and I later learned that he'd been taking taxis <laughs> over, over the really difficult bits. But he was 81. Yes. A little, he gets a little grace there. Yeah, but I still thought, you know, he was uh, charming and optimistic and he basically showed me that you can do anything if you set if you set your mind to it and um you know it was i, I was it was full of experiences for me the worst bit on the journey was um about four days in when we were coming down the other side of the pyrenees um the road well there was a 
stretch of road called the Dragon's Teeth. It wasn't a road. It wasn't a path. It was it was jagged rocks, and it was much more like rock climbing. And my leg was killing me, and uh, it was it proved to be really really difficult but Ginny who had been there before and had done it Virginia she said to me um, the first week 10 days will be really difficult but then you will get into your stride and I did and I found that I found the people were fantastic the the weather was wonderful it was lovely and sunny and but not too hot and um uh, the food, fantastic. The value for money everywhere along the Camino is great. The companionship that you meet. And we met with people at the start and at the end, and we had a big dinner at the end in Santiago. And um, and it was just a wonderful experience. So um, I don't know if there are any direct fundraising lessons, but plenty of lessons for life, I think, from... From that, so that's probably enough about. Uh, uh, about Incredible. The, I, I, the, the only thing I would say is that 1,400 pilgrims, because that's what we call ourselves when we do this thing, uh, 1,400 pilgrims arrive in Santiago every day. It's a very busy trail, and there are several of these ancient pilgrimage routes. You don't have to be a pilgrim. You don't have to be religious to walk the Camino. In fact, most people who do are not, but um, that's what they're doing. They're following in the footsteps. Uh, and so much of what we do is following in the footsteps of others. So it's, it's, it's a worthwhile activity. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I can't help but compare it to some of the things that you said earlier about being in the fundraising profession. And I feel like the lesson out of that that I see when I compare it to fundraising is there will be rough spots. It's really hard in the beginning. There'll be really hard, unexpected things that come up along the journey. And the key is to keep going and to Uh, never, never give up and enjoy uh, the relationships Uh, along the way. There will be emotional moments as well. Um, uh, one of the things that people walking the Camino do is that they leave mementos or they leave memorials. So I, I built a memorial to Marie. Uh, there were other instances where you share in people's, people have, you know, people walk the Camino because they have had a bereavement or they have grief or they have something that they want to uh, expiate. And um, it, it can be exceptionally touching and, and you share with people, uh, it sometimes un- under considerable difficulty. Uh, and, and that is that in itself is, is, is very illuminating and, and quite humbling. So, no, it's, it's, a, it's, a terrific, it's a terrific thing to do. You do need sturdy boots um, and you get a lovely certificate at the end of it. And so in my home in Suffolk, I, I'm not sure actually in my home in Suffolk at the moment, but I have a, um, uh, my house is 500 years old and I have a wall which uh, has the root and a picture of my boots painted by... Virginia, my traveling companion. So it has a picture of the boots at the bottom, the the route along the top, and in the middle are the two certificates uh, in Latin 
uh, that were awarded to somebody who's completed all 500 miles of the Camino de Santiago. Incredible. Incredible. Ken, as always, an inspiration, a huge source of knowledge and encouragement. And I am so grateful that we had this conversation today. And I can't wait until we can see each other in person again. And I want to give you a big hug. <laughs> Absolutely, Tammy. That would be that would be just great. And then I can tell you about my next big plan, which uh, will, I'm sure, surprise probably surprised me as much as it surprises you. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, we'll end on a cliffhanger then. Okay. Okay. Tammy, thank you very much. It's been a delight to talk to you. And And you. We're back for a final word about Tammy Zonker's training style and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her fundraising Transformers community. Here's growth member Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee. Tammy is so encouraging. She's very empowering. She really wants you to succeed in your role. And that really comes through with everything that she does, from the monthly coaching calls to the monthly webinars. The guidance I've received from Tammy and other members of the Fundraising Transformers group has always been so constructive, so beneficial, and you can tell everyone in the group wants everybody else to succeed because we all know what a challenging job it can be to fundraise for our our wonderful causes and our organizations. You may be asking yourself, can a growth membership really help me improve my fundraising results? Is it worth my time? Laurel Grow from Phoenix Family in Kansas City shared that her organization increased charitable dollars raised by 132% since joining as a growth member. Becky Shambliss from Awake in Anchorage, Alaska shared that her organization increased donor retention from 13% to 69% in about a year using what they learned from Tammy's training. And growth member Amanda Johnson from Multiplying Good in Indianapolis shared that her organization exceeded their annual fundraising goal by 104% and grew overall giving by 13% in one year by applying lessons learned from Tammy as a member of her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's member Stevie Shumate again sharing how she and you can grow your fundraising skills as a growth member of Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community. This is the first fundraising role that I have ever been in before. Um, so at 30 years old, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, well, how do I rocket launch my fundraising expertise? You learn from Tammy Zonker. That's what you do. Become a member of the Fundraising Transformers community. To join our live monthly training and Ask Me Anything sessions and get access to our growing library of on-demand training videos and tools and share lessons learned with other fundraising pros like you in our private and safe online community, visit fundraisingtransform.com growth, click join, and get started today. That's it for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. If you like this podcast, subscribe and download each episode on your favorite podcast platform. Share it on social media with the hashtag, The Intentional Fundraiser, and tag me, Tammy Zonker, and you'll be entered into a drawing for some great swag, books, and courses. And if you like today's show, you might also be interested in becoming a member of my Fundraising Transformer 
community where I go live twice a month with my members with fundraising training and group coaching to help transform those fundraising issues that keep you awake at night, where I pull back the curtain on how you can take your fundraising results to the next level by teaching ways you can improve your development operations, create a results-driven, donor-centric development plan, strengthen donor relationships, improve your donor retention rates, and build a raging monthly giving program and a successful major gifts program, and how you can approach each day to ensure you'll perform at your highest level so you can be the best fundraiser and the best person you can possibly be. Thank you for showing up and for having the courage and determination to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.